give them nothing, but take from them everything. Nice of you to show up. I am. Uh, Rome was so excited about you coming back that he left. Yeah, yes. Unfortunately, the rum guy is uh, still at his uh, job of doom. And uh, he ended up getting hurt pretty good this time, and I don't know when he's actually going to come back on the air. He was stabbed by uh, possibly a hobo. Yeah, some uh, woman accosted him with a syringe with God only knows what in it, and he uh, is not uh, in the best of. No, he had to go condition. to the hospital twice. Yeah, yeah, but we do have Adam. Yes, we always have me. Yeah, I know, and we have our very special guest today, Mr. Kurt Amaker. Yay! Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? You got my name right. You got my name right the first time, though. I truly appreciate that. Well, I had to, I had to double check with Adam to make sure it was right, but I didn't want to say it. What do you usually get? Um, a mocker. I'm a maker. Um, you know, one of my drill instructors in boot camp used to call me Abercrombie just to get under my skin. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I was just at the, uh, I was at CVS a few minutes ago checking out. I had this really, really old woman hunched over a walker and I said my name to the clerk who was, who was calling my name, who was asking my name for something. And, uh, she, the, the old woman looked at me and goes, well, that's a strange name. I said, what do you want? It's, I mean, a, it's German, so it's not, it's not an uncommon name down here. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get it. As if it's, if it's over four words, people are just thoroughly confused. Yeah, uh, my my last name, uh, people call me uh, bear ass sometimes. It's bar, <laughs> it's Barris, but I do get bear ass. Yeah, and but they, they, they didn't know your last name when they called you that. That's right? true. That's true. Yeah, it's, that's so you, it's possible. It's possible you earned that reputation. You know. So. Yeah, I've always threatened if I were a child that's a a, a boy, I would always name him Harry, so it'd be Harry <laughs> bear ass. But, <laughs> but but you know. Yeah, he would hate me for the rest of his life, but whatever. Oh, that'll happen anyway. Yeah. Just listen to a boy named Sue if you want to see how that's going to turn out for you one day. So, anyway, but Noah, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. I said it's uh, it's good to uh, it's good to be on with you finally. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Good to have you. Um, we uh, every time we have one of the local uh, local guys on, everybody mentions Ted Caldwell as something they they really dig. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm really, really proud of that graphic novel. I'm glad it. And you know, it was so off character for me. You know, it was so. It was so not what people expected me to do. And it's ended up. I, I think it's my best work personally. And everybody, everybody likes. You know, some of my older stuff that I put out a few years ago, back when I was still kind of, kind of working, learning my way around. But um, yeah, I think all tag all was really good. I'm very, very happy that it turned out. And I can't thank Carl Slominski enough for the amazing job he did on the art. I mean, that guy was an absolute diamond in the rough. So. Cool, but uh, um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it was you know, it, oh God, it was uh, so funny that um, the the conception of that thing was as as most stories that I uh, that I write, I find like I had an, a kernel of an idea. This kid seeing himself die on television, and it just stuck with me, and it developed out from there. But uh, I spent. Um, I I spent way when I was working on Tad Caldwell, it was sort of therapeutic because I was just I was going through some stuff, and so I spent. A lot of it, uh, working on doing the lettering, drinking wine, and just kind of spacing out. And I mean, I wasn't there. There were no other illicit substances involved or anything like that. I was just, I was, I was kind of hiding in my office, literally sitting in the dark with one small light on, working on that book, and just drinking glasses of wine. And then when we went back to actually edit it and turn the book into the printer, it was over the Christmas holiday. There were errors on every single page. <laughs> so. Uh, we we literally had to work through Christmas to get all of them corrected. I take full responsibility for that. But um, but yeah, no, I'm glad to hear you guys like the book. If you have any questions about it or anything, fire away. I mean, I can I can keep talking. 
Um, I actually I haven't gotten to read it yet. We have it at the store, and I need to go through it. Uh, tell, ah, okay. us, tell us what it's about because, uh, like I said, ever uh, well, all the, all you the know, Ted, Ted uh, Laddie, and Vernon, which I guess isn't that many, but those are our, our main right, three that right, we talked right, to right, mostly. Right. They, but they, they've all mentioned it. Um, uh, I know it's set, it's set in New Orleans, right? It's set. In, it's actually set in the area that BSI is located in. Set in Fat City or thereabouts. I'm not. I'm not sure what the block for block neighborhood divisions of Metairie are, but it's set in Metairie in the very late 1980s, like 88, 89. And these kids uh, have, are sort of like a Goonies or Monster Squad or something like that. They're this collection of kind of nerdy friends that are really into horror movies and. They have a like a viewing party every Friday, and then they kind of start to get they've they've seen everything. This is in the eighties when the slasher movies were all on like their seventh sequel, and the, the genre like you know horror is obviously horror just much like metal has had a critical has had a really a great critical reconsideration or renaissance in the in the two thousand, which I think is amazing because I like both. But uh, at the time, horror was just pretty much a pretty much a gutter genre and. So they start watching more extreme stuff. They start getting into stuff like uh, Cannibal Holocaust and make them die slowly and some of this and some of the more kind of cultish stuff rented from what's an obvious analog of major video, which is now closed, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I carried a lot of that stuff in the cult section. And um, one of the guys gets a tape that is sold to him by the clerk, and uh, the tape is a snuff film, as it turns out. They don't know this when they buy it. But the person being killed is the narrator, Nathan. So he sees himself die on camera. So the big question is, is, is the tape from the future? Is it fake? Um, is it re- even really him? And so he kind of goes on this both a literal and personal journey to find out who created the tape because he, he says the name when he's about to, when the knife comes down, he yells out Tad Caldwell. So the question is, who is Tad Caldwell? And he finds out that he's actually this disgraced science fiction writer living out in the sticks in Mississippi and so he decides to track him down and he comes sort of comes from the generation of guys like Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury he's not sci-fi science fiction like Star Wars Star Trek although I like those things but he's that sort of like literary sci-fi uh, Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick that kind right. of thing and but he hasn't been heard from in 20 years more than that uh, because he was accused of killing his son and we're all fairly sure that he didn't kill his son, but his son disappeared, and he was disgraced anyway. And he had claimed for, and I'm going to kind of wind down the summary here because I don't want to give away the entire book, but he yeah. claimed for the entire time that his kid was abducted by aliens, that they had gone outside, they'd seen a bright, a bright light, and then the kid was gone, and that the visitors kind of gave him this book in his head that he felt like he had to write for them. It's sort of their kind of alien Bible, and that's that's his last book, and he's kind of fallen out of favor. Nobody really cares or cares about him anymore, so he, Nathan is trying to find out what his connection, this guy, this new friend he's made has with the tape. I mean, the guy doesn't Ooh. place really make snuff films or anything, and he seems like a fairly normal guy in his own right. You faded um, out for a second there, dude. Yeah, no, I, I just said that uh, he starts to really like Caldwell and they form a friendship, and he has to try to figure out what connection his friend has to this tape or doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, it sounds dude, that sounds really cool. I'm going to have to, de- I definitely have to get a copy of that, dude. I have, uh, since you got him at BSI, I'll probably go over there and pick up one. I appreciate it, man. Then, you know, let me know what you think of it, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. Good, bad, anything. What are, you, what are you working on right now? What am I working? I'm working on two things. I'm working on the Cradle of Filth comic book. That's still that's still in the works. I'm still working on the Sixty Nine Eyes comic book. Um, and speaking of Sixty Nine Eyes, we have I'm uh, one of the people of the team throwing a vampire ball that is going to be on July 20th at the Holland Wolf, which is the third year I've done it with uh, Yerky Sixty Nine from the Sixty Nine Eyes. He comes down and like DJs and co-produces the event, and it's my kind of. You know, said it's it's my contribution to vampire culture as far as you know, which is you know unfortunately sometimes at odds with other people's take on it because they have a pretty down to earth view of it, uh, namely that I think vampires are fun, therefore let's throw a party about them. It's not uh, really like an occult or right. sort of spiritual or thing like that. There's nobody cutting each other or, or any kind of orders or houses or any of those things. It's it really is for for anybody that just whether you like True Blood or Dracula or Twilight, I don't really fucking care, you know, come to my party. But 
um, Yerky from 69 Eyes is going to come down, and we're uh, bringing a um, very famous, very old goth band called Christian Death down as well. And so it'll be a bunch of DJs and some fetish performers and Moon Horror, the Metal Belly Dancers will, yeah, be, will be there as well. Yeah, Moon Horror is going to perform, and then, uh, you know, it's just, you know, hopefully it'll be a night of very profitable vampiric mayhem, if, uh, if I have anything to say about it. But, uh, well, I don't dress up like a vampire or anything, but I may make the appearance over there because I'd like to see Christian Death. Oh yeah, you totally showed. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun, and I've uh, being able to kind of talk to those guys or to talk to Valor Cand at least over the past several weeks has been a real pleasure to getting to just talk to him about his the history of the band and everything. I've been a fan for a long time, and um, but yeah, so Sixty Nine Eyes comic book, Cradle of Filth comic book, and uh, then the the Vampire Ball. Once the Vampire Ball finishes up. Uh, I'm going to take a couple days. I'm going to go see Black Sabbath play in Houston. I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to do what I really want to be doing, which is writing comics, and not just... I mean, events planning is awesome, and I, and I really like it, but I, it was not it was not what I woke up and decided. I never woke up and decided I wanted to be an events planner. It just kind of fell in my lap years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a carriage. It was kind of like a, a carriage that is out of control, careening through the woods, and I've never been able to quite stop it. <laughs> well, it seems like you're doing a pretty damn good job with it. Thank we you. were uh, we were talking a couple weeks ago about uh, Black Sabbath in Houston. How much, uh, if if it's not too personal, how much uh, did you pay to, to get in? Uh, honestly, our our seats are really terrible because I couldn't get the Ticketmaster thing figured out. We're not on the lawn, but we're in the we're in the very very back, and I think. So don't like, hold me, but I think they were seventy five a piece. I mean, I don't, I don't care. You look it up. That's not like personal. I didn't, I didn't buy the the thousand dollar VIP tag right. to right. visit Ozzy. Although I'm kind of looking back and wishing I had, but you know, because at the time I was trying to, I was playing the Ticketmaster game where I kept reloading and reloading and reloading, trying to get uh, better seats, and it kept look like. I was just getting thrown around the the arena, and it, it wasn't like they were progressively pushing me back. It would be closer, but it would be way off to the side, and it would be center, but it would be back. And there seemed to be no rhyme or reason for it. So eventually, I landed on some tickets that were dead center, but they were all the way in the back. And I said, okay, worst case scenario, we'll take these tickets, and then we'll we'll walk up a few rows. I'm sure, you know, there's there's always going to be some seats left. We'll just walk up a few rows. Well, yeah, um, with, with the ticket prices of where they were, where they are. Yeah, there'll probably be plenty of seats left. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know the VIPs are sold out, and it's one of those things that you look back and you say, well, you know, yeah, that would have been a lot of money, but it might have been worth it just to, you know, you, you, it's a kind of memory you carry with you for the rest of your life. But um, I don't know. I, I always think about the, the guys that they fly out to Vegas to see, like, a big uh, boxing match. Yeah. And you know, they spend, you know, whatever it is, five grand all, just, all oh, to yeah. And then the the fight's over in like five minutes, or, or not five yeah. minutes, but you know, like like just the the third hit just knocks somebody out in the first round. And uh, I know I know this is music, but those guys are pretty old, like, like right. you know. Well, but it, has, it has a bunch. It has a bunch of other stuff with it. You know, you get to go into you get guaranteed great seating. You know, you get to go into a private bar. There's all sorts of other. It's a big it's a big VIP perk package. But at the time, I was just like. For for my wife and I, it's a two thousand dollars, no way in hell. And I'm looking yeah. back, and I'm like, well, you know, you can always money, some experiences you can't get back. You can always make. Thankfully, you know, money's money. You can lose it, and you can make it back. It's not, you know, the only thing the only thing you ever truly lose that is truly limited commodity is time. You know, you that's. Right. One of the reasons why I don't wash my own car because it takes two hours to do it properly when I could pay somebody, you know, twenty bucks or thirty bucks to do it in fifteen minutes for me. You know. It's time. That's the one thing you. And actually, that's it's funny because it ties back. That's a recurrent theme on Tad Caldwell. The sort of the nature of time and um, what it means to use it and lose it and that kind of thing. And you know, you can't you can't take back you know getting to meet Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath or something like that. But it's done. You know, those tickets are sold out, and so you know you move on. Well, I I got to see Sabbath years ago when they played at uh, oh god, this is at least I want to say at least fifteen years ago probably. Yeah. Uh, when they played in Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum, and it was all four original members. So great. Yeah. I, I'm good with with not paying the extra money to go see them now. Um, the new record's pretty damn good. I like it. I, I like it. I'm 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 jamming to it. Uh, it's uh, I I I I splur I did splurge on that. I bought the two disc Best Buy one with the extra with the extra track on it. What I what I really like is that. It um it really does feel it, it, it's it's both the album's greatest strength and its greatest weakness is it fits comfortably after like the first five Black Sabbath albums you know which we've all heard a million times and so right. 
it's not particularly groundbreaking. There's nothing new about it. It sounds exactly like an old Black Sabbath record, which at one point you're like, well, it's great and all I want. But then at the same time, it kind of creates that, how can it, that problem where it's like, how can this possibly live up to the album I have made in my mind? And it's not that. They didn't, they didn't overplay their hand, which on one level, like I said, I think is great because you could just slot it right after, you know, right after, before or after sabotage or something like that. Yeah. Or you can, but it's not going to be like this life changing, overwhelming, like, oh my God, I, you know, the, the, the scales have been lifted from my eyes, you know? <laughs> You know, I agree, man. I agree. I, I enjoy the record, but it's just, it's, you're right. It's not life changing. No, but, it's just solid Sabbath record. But it is, it's, I'll take a quote from, um, uh, a guy, I, I don't know if you know who Kyle Thomas is. Singer, uh, singer no. for Exhorter. Uh, I don't know who Exhorter is, yeah. He, po- he posted a, a post on Facebook saying basically, he says, no, it is not paranoid. It's not sabotage. No, it's not these albums. But it's still better than anything we've ever put out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, yeah. I, and I agree. I agree. It, it's still better than anything any of my bands ever put out on the market, and you know, it'll sell more than any of the bands that I've ever put out on the market. So, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I am honestly, I am truly grateful that the guys are still alive and they're good enough health to tour and I'll have a chance to see them because I was one of those bands, you know, there, there may be, there may be five band living bands right now on earth that I haven't seen that I really want to see. I mean, there are plenty of bands that I wouldn't mind seeing as far as bands that I would travel to or would go to exorbitant lengths. Uh, the rest I've either seen already or they're dead or, or you know, the principal members like Jim Morrison's not coming back. Johnny Cash is not coming back, obviously. Right. And Curtis isn't. But, um, and Sabbath was on that list. Sabbath was one of those bands. I, and I resigned myself that I would just never get to see him. And, um, and I think I skipped Ozzy last time he played in New Orleans to go to a different event, and I regret it. I still regret it, because <laughs> I heard he was really good, actually. Was, that was the show that he, uh, during Christmas, wasn't it? It wasn't during Christmas. No, I saw that. that he played oh, okay. at Voodoo Festival, actually. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I didn't go to that either. I, I passed that one up. I've never been to Voodoo. I, I, I just feel like it's such a waste of money. Like yeah, there's, It's okay. There's, like, it's, one or two bands that I might be interested in seeing. But like, this year, like, this year's lineup, I mean... It's Nine Inch Nails is the pull, you know? And, I mean, I've seen them three or four times. I'm good. Yeah, I've seen Nine Inch Nails twice. I met Trent Reznor one time years ago when he lived in New Orleans. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's no story, dude. He was perfectly nice. We just ran into him at a movie theater. It's not, it's, you know, I've got got plenty of funny celebrity stories. That's not one of them. Like, we were (laughs) literally, I just ran into him at a movie theater and said, are you Trent Reznor? And he said yes. And we chatted for five minutes, and that was about it. Um, In fact, I... The, the the way I introduced myself was he um, was friends with a girl, and he was a stepdaughter of my old guitar teacher back when I was stumbling my way around trying to play guitar when I was in high school. I, I gave that up and decided to focus on writing, obviously. But um, So I said, you know, I'm friends with Jennifer, Steve Staples' daughter, and he went, oh, okay, and kind of relaxed a little bit. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Not you know, but so my my, my unless the new Nine Inch Nails record that comes out is just is just earth shattering, and um, I I'm trying to keep my expectations reasonable here, unless it's just the best thing I've ever heard or something like that. I'm gonna right. probably just pass it up because it's I hate outdoor festivals. So they just I I did a couple of voodoos and it just wasn't worth the the, the cost versus benefits just wasn't worth it. Yeah, I I, I kind of don't like the outside venues anymore either. I mean, after a certain age, it's kind of ridiculous to go out there. I think. I mean, really, honestly? It, it, look, at the end of the day, for me, it's just who's playing. Like, I, I know what you're saying. I, I've i been to Jazz Fest maybe, th- well, three times in my life, but but it's, yeah, it's all been in the last uh, six, yeah, roughly six years. And it's always been because it's somebody that, that doesn't normally play. Like, you know, you're talking about Ozzy. Willie Nelson came last year to uh to actually I think he came this year too to to Jazz Fest. Right. And uh normally when he comes into town he plays House of Blues yeah, it's and it's like a hundred Right. And it's not that I wouldn't necessarily pay that to see him, but I wouldn't pay that to see him at, at House of Blues. No. Right. So, there, yeah, there is that. So, you know, I mean like like you say, he's gonna die, so Yeah, yeah. I, that's the reason I went to Jazz Fest. I went to Jazz Fest to see Neil Young. And I mean that was just Somebody I wanted to see, you know. Yeah, see, I mean, Jazz Fest is like is like 
to me, it's like Voodoo Fest, the same thing, that there's always bands I want to see. Like, Tool played uh, Voodoo one year, and I, I, I do, I really like Tool. I'd love to see him one day. But for me, it's just the, the amount of money it costs and to have to be outside and to have to wait and have to deal with the, you know, the army of douchebags and stoners and other people that are around. It just makes it more... You know, it's like the the misery outweighs the fun. Whereas, you know, if it's an indoor venue, at least I can sit down and you know, I mean, the, the drinks are still going to be ridiculously priced. But I mean, I would rather see a show at a local venue any time of day because, like, as you guys saw, we, you know, when we were playing your band, if I if I really like what I'm hearing, I can just go up to the front and jump up and down like a maniac, or I can go get a beer and it's not going to be you know right. eighteen dollars or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um. Uh, the, the tool show you're talking about at Voodoo, I, I did go to that. That was actually a pretty good show. Um, uh, but it's not the, the best time I've seen them. The best time I've seen them was the first time I saw them, and that was at a Lollapalooza, like 90-something. And that, that was awesome. That was that was like the first album or second album came out, and it was a fantastic show. Right. Remember when when uh, outdoor concerts like, like Lollapalooza were, were the thing? Yeah. People, people were like, oh, God, Lollapalooza's coming, and, and now it's... Yeah, well, they're, they're still ha- like those festivals yeah, no, are still, still out happen, there, but, but they it's don't not, happen here. Right. It's all overseas mostly. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Like all the Europe. big fests are all in Europe now. I got you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that, especially with, I mean, there are even goth versions that you can imagine, you know, Meryl Luna and Wave Gothic Treffin and a lot of those bands. I mean, I mean, a lot of those venues. And actually, I said a lot of the bands that I would still actually get out of my house and go see. I mean, I've become more and more of a homebody as I've gotten older, but I mean, they're all, a lot of them are just old European goth bands and they'll still play, they'll still play Germany and England and that kind of thing, but they, they rarely come over because it's just too damn expensive to travel. I mean, I, I, one time I had somebody, um, approach me about, it told me to ask Yerky about trying to get the 69 eyes to come over on a one-off, not, not as part of a tour, United States tour. And, I mean, she was being serious. She wasn't, you know, she'd worked on Crew Fest a few years ago, so she knew how to negotiate sponsors. It wasn't out of the, what, what, what she, she wasn't just kind of, uh, kind of blowing smoke. She, she realistically could have made it happen. And it ended up not happening, but he, he went through a budget, like a rough and, a rough and dirty budget with me about what it would cost to get them to just put the band on a plane again and come over here. And it's just, far beyond what most what any promoter is going to be willing to pay for a one-off like they really have to have a tour with sponsors and a whole bunch of guaranteed dates and stuff like that to make it worth a while and even then by the time the ticket price gets passed on to the consumer it just becomes so astronomically expensive that people people just won't go and with the economy right. being, being what it's been since 2008 um it's I, I find I used to go to concerts no matter what, no matter how much it costs, no matter how, what time of the day. I mean, I was I remember when I went to see Bobby Seale's band, The Undead, uh, a few years ago. I had a term paper or something due the next day. I hadn't even started yet, and I was like, I'm not missing this. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, yeah, I was the same way too. Then ticket prices started going up, and then and the economy started going down, and it was just kind of like, how does this work? Right. Yeah, I mean, t- you know, it's it's funny because so much so much home media is available now, or so well, I mean, the home home media has is blown up so much so that there are people that are talking like what what may what's kind of happened to concerts, at least big concerts. I don't mean obviously, obviously, you know, any town is still going to have small bands. We pay five bucks to go see them, and people people should go to those shows because those are fun. You know, I mean, they're not yeah. as fun to me as they used to be because. um I, you know, people, unfortunately, when I go out, mostly because of my height and the way that I look, people try to start fights with me. And then if I, <laughs> depending on how much I've had to drink, sometimes I, I respond and, you know, you get past a certain age and, you know, that stuff just becomes unacceptable. It can really, it can really screw up your whole life, you know. Oh, um, yeah. Right. You can throw your back out fight. Yeah, I'll, I, I, I'll yeah, break uh, <laughs> It's not even no, it's not even just that, but I mean having an having an assault charge, and I and I don't. Let me be very clear about that. But having an assault charge on your record or something like that. I mean, last last summer um, around Fantasia, before and after, I almost got arrested twice, and it was both for good. Th- I won one as I was jumping in to help my friend in a bar fight, who was. Um, a guy just went after him for, I mean, no, no good reason. I mean, the guy had a reason, but it wasn't a good reason to, to go after someone. Another, uh, some, uh, some guys, some French tourists sexually assaulted a girl I knew in a hotel room, and I went after Jesus. one of the guys. And he, he got away, but by the time the police showed up, um, you know, and I explained what happened, and a, a friend of mine who's in law enforcement showed up on the scene and got me out of it, and they just, they, they wrote it down as a citizen's arrest and told me to go home. But if, uh, 
you know, the, the police were, you know, said the police were happy about what happened and everything, but, you know, they were kind of like laughing at all, like, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you scared, they were told me, you know, you scared the shit out of those guys and everything, and that's, you know, good, they deserve it, but they very easily just could have said, you know, you just hit that guy, you're under arrest, you know, yeah, and yeah. I find it too many close, it gets into too many close calls when, when you're out, people are just drunk and obnoxious when you get into punk and metal shows and you guys know this know this pretty well i mean we it attracts us unfortunately it attracts a certain element that likes to that likes to cause trouble and that's yeah. just the way it is you know yeah i was talking to wayne about uh, uh i guess this was a few months ago uh, david allen co uh was in town he, he comes to town every once in a while and i'd like to see the guy play i'd like to go air him but like that dude's crowd uh i know like, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't it's, hang. It's, it's an entire crowd full of right. like, racist rednecks that right. want to get drunk and kill people. Right. Yeah. Or I, I mean, mean, honestly, it's more to kill people than. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that dude. That dude's pretty pretty hardcore. And, oh yeah. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure his audience is worse. And it's like fuck that. I I got a CD player. I got the internet. It's like everybody who goes. All the women that are basically the guys that are with them sisters. So you know. Yeah. One of them things. Yeah, let's I mean, call out David Allen Coe's audience <laughs> on, on, on the podcast. Yeah, I don't stop calling him out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I'll tell I, uh, where you live. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I, I love. No, I agree. It's the same thing. I mean, I love, I love being from the South. I love, I love Southern things, musicians, all of that Southern culture. But yeah, there's definitely some, there's some elements from it that you just got to stay away from unless you're looking to, especially you know, in New Orleans. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's unfortunate that. That happens. You can't even go to can't even go to a goddamn bar without really having to keep your guard up. But I mean, you yeah. guys play music, and you know, you, I mean, it's a part of your job to deal with people like that. Unfortunately, it is. Um, yeah. And I remember that we were doing we were doing a club night promotion. We were doing putting on a couple of goth nights, so, or like one or two a week, and then a couple of month. And I had started. I actually started taking martial arts classes because sometimes these places don't have adequate security. Sometimes people have just got too many in them, and it's it's scary sometimes. And you just after a while, you just, it's not exciting or funny anymore. You're just like, fuck, I'll just stay in my house and watch Blu-rays all day. I don't, you know, <laughs> exactly. this, you know. I actually had uh, some shit almost went down on, I think it was the first time I went to Jazz Fest. I was at, uh, bizarrely, like, it was, uh, uh, Brad Paisley was playing, who's, who's a very mellow dude as far as, as country. It's, not, it's nothing like, like rile people up, but they had this right. one guy He's got a song that was well known called Alcohol. Right, it's, right. It's a tribute to, well, it's, you know, it's country music, so they're all tributes to alcohol. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, like, I was at the front right by the, the little barricade, more boxed in. This was, this was one of the bigger concerts that, that year, or, I mean, uh, that, that festival. And, uh, they had this, this old man in front of me, and then this, uh, like, he was right up against the gate. This old man and his wife, and they, they were probably in their 60s, maybe, maybe, right. maybe close to 70. And they had this, like, drunk, uh, flat-out hillbilly, you know, like, white trash, Jersey Shore, Southern kind of, you know. Uh, wow, that's a lot of stereotypes. I'm just like, I was trying to give you, give you the image This man there. is the biggest asshole on the planet. <laughs> right. Well, the guy's screaming out. The guy's screaming out, alcohol, alcohol. He's got his, he's got his bitch there, you know. And I'm assuming bitch because she had to be taking the ass at some point. And, uh, and the guy is like spilling beer on the old man's wife. And you, you know, like you get around these dudes that they were around for like at least Korea, if not World War Two, and all that. Sure, yeah, yeah. And they still got a little bit of that piss a minute. Like they know they're too old, but they're like, they want to kill if, somebody, right? If I if yeah. I was still twenty five, if I was still even forty, shove my finger right. through your eyes, and uh, <laughs> and it got started to get ugly. And I had to tap the old man to show us and look, you know, like if if, if shit goes down, you know, I got gotcha. you, you know. But the problem is, like, the dude, it's not just because he's old. Because I think if it was just like, you know, man to man, I think he would have went for it. But like I said, we're boxed in. If anything goes down, I had a couple girls that were there, not with me, but but that, that we we went together, and uh, and all this, and um, it's like so. I'm literally as this is going on, you know, I'm thinking, all right, well, what do I have to do? Like, if if this dude takes a swing, do I try to tackle him over the barricade? 
Uh, you know, like, well, like yeah. literally having to make these thoughts, and I'm like, why am I at a Brad Paisley concert having to have these thoughts? <laughs> Getting ready to run, right? right, and uh, thankfully the dude got so loud that, like, the police shit, like, went the over. actual. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, like, it was pretty funny, but, like, they had to, like, yank him over the barricade, like, there was three of them Damn. holding the guy down. And, uh, Good for it's, him. It's so funny. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. he went to prison and got fucked in the ass. I'm well. sure that probably happened before this. <laughs> probably was but. not his. It was not his first rodeo. Let's just let's just right. say that. Probably not. But no, <laughs> we uh, no, I either. you know I. I love live music, and I, I I don't like some of the trappings that go with it. I mean, I still do. I mean, Fantasia is a huge deal. I mean, it's a huge part of my life, and it's it's. I will still do that. I don't do as many small shows as I used to do because not just because of the problems as we talked about before with you know the you know, most of the, most of the goth and kind of vampire crowd is pretty is pretty sedate. You know, you have a few uh, you have a few people like me apparently that get into um, they get into people, but. Um, that uh but you know we try to we probably try to promote a slightly more upscale atmosphere for Fantasia. I mean it's not like it's anybody else's you don't have to come in a coat and tie, but it is because we we take from true blood and we go for a slightly more mainstream audience, believe it or not. I know that makes all my like vampire fan friends cringe, but um we we try to we try to invite a more like a, a wider breadth of people and you know, the tickets are not like they're not unaffordable but we have VIP. For the record he said wider yeah. With a D. Um, <laughs> wider. Oh no 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 nothing like that. No no. Yeah, no. Not wider. No. Uh, I'm just making that clear. That's all. That's no, what he no, said. No, the show. The show is the metal hand of God. It is not the racist hand of God. <laughs> and sometimes it is. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we get into some pretty bad topics, man. Wow. What you talking about, boy? Exactly. I'm yeah. Sorry, don't. That's no, all right. Don't go down like Paula Dean. Watch your. Watch your mouth on the that's air. That's right. Uh, um. No, but no, a wide. Hold on, she, she's a millionaire. I'd love to go down like Paula Dean. I don't give yeah. a fuck. You want to go down on Paula Dean? I, if 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 she'll share her millions, <laughs> I'll 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 put some butter on it. And she'll share it. something I, anyway. Sorry, go on. I don't think you have. I don't think you have to add any. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. You know, the idea of uh, the idea of reducing an old Southern woman to tears on a, on a talk show to me is just sort of. Beyond the pale, obviously, that you know word she was accused of using. I mean, that's that's pretty horrific and unacceptable. I mean, I, I hate that word. I hate that anybody uses that word. But it's uh, again trying to destroy some you know an old Southern woman's life first on based yeah. on something that she said that you know thirty years was, ago. Yeah, well, and, you know, but it's it's kind of typical at this point. I, I saw. Uh, I don't know if you if you heard about it, but Egypt's going up in flames right now. The, I guess, Muslim, yeah. the Muslim Brotherhood's moving in and staging a coup and all this. And uh, I saw Rob Lowe of all people was retweeted saying um, Egypt's going up, and CNN is more concerned with like the DNA test for the Zim- Zimmerman trial. Well, yeah, yeah, that's and that's exactly that's right. how that's how things are right now. They're more concerned with what was. Uh, who was that chick that murdered somebody in California? That yeah, I forget what her name was. But yeah, yeah. That, that's that's what she people killed her are boyfriend, and, and everybody was worried about that. Or like I always like to say, is they're always worried about the next Kardashian like you know mistake. Right. Well, I mean the news. The news is. I mean the news has been reduced to entertainment. It's not Cronkite anymore. I mean you could sit there and watching watching um, watching cable news, especially and Fox News as is down to an art. I mean I'm not. I'm not necess- I'm not criticizing their politics one way or another. You can you can think what you want, but they have they have news as entertainment down to a science. I mean, I sat I sat there and watched hours of Fox News before almost just like one point I had to because it was on when I was working, and they it's 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 just it's cut and shot like a movie sometimes. It's what yeah. it feels like. It's just it's it it really is designed to kind of you know stimulate you in a way the traditional the movies and TV you know as we think of like as far as entertainment goes and so um I I agree with you I mean the news blows up smaller stories that have more they're they're easier to understand they have you know they have cultural impact they didn't they tend to hit on things that the average person is going to find interesting which is you know social issues are on their face I guess easy to understand for a lot of people racial tension um, political blow ups that, that kind of stuff um, and at the end it all comes down to gossip people love gossip they don't you know uh, listening to that people are dying in Egypt right now because at least to some small degree we interfered in, in a political situation we knew nothing about and didn't understand or and couldn't really fix uh, no matter what we did it, that's that's a downer you know and nobody it's wants a, to hear that. 
it's a downer, but I mean, the Arab Spring would, I mean, I guess for a lot of people, the Arab Spring and the fallout, you know, to them is just last, it's literally last year's news. And so they're, they've, they've moved on. They're waiting for, you know, the sequel, not even the sequel, you know, the new, the new movie. But what I was uh, saying, you know, before we, I said, no, we didn't say a whiter bird, no, wider. <laughs> um, you know, we, we don't, I said, we're in fact, we're trying to keep Fantasia. We're when I say we're trying to keep it alive, or I shouldn't say that because it's not dying. Like it's doing very well. It's just that what we want is to bring people in that like vampires in whatever context. Like if you if your first exposure was you know five years ago from reading Twilight, I don't care. If you're a housewife that likes True Blood, and you want to wear black one night, I don't care. If you're a hardcore Anne Rice fan that's been reading her since the late seventies, that's fine too. As long as you are polite and respectful and all the things you would want of any person at your nightclub or at your event, then by all means, by a ticket, come out. I hate this. And you see it in the, you guys, I'm sure, have seen it in the metal scene a lot, too, this endless mm-hmm. bifurcation and infighting when, you know, it's like the black metal guys don't like the death metal guys, and oh, the yeah. black metal guys don't like Cradle of Filth, for instance, um, because their stuff's in Hot Topic. And I just, I just don't see why that should be. It just doesn't seem like there's a good reason for it other than the only thing that I can think of is that um, a lot of people, when they don't really have anything to be super, I, I guess, it's not an accomplishment, for instance, to like to hate the new Star Trek movie or something like that, or say that the old movies are better. Than, like, you, you didn't climb Everest or get a black belt in karate. Um, not that I've done either of those things. You didn't, like, you, know, you didn't cure cancer. It's so easy to just sit back and, like, uh, and, and have an, uh, an opinion that essentially means nothing and slings arrows at another group. I mean, there was, there's, there's two big Star Trek fan groups in, in New Orleans, and I had dinner with one of them um, before we before we went in to see the new Star Trek film, and they were very nice. They were incredibly welcoming, and they said that they have this running kind of fight that isn't even, it's not like, an, it's not like a good-natured ribbing. These two groups really distinctly dislike each other because the other one gets the $900 uh, you know, act, really accurate licensed uniforms, and they will just like wear a Star Trek, like wear a red shirt, and you know, put a little funny pin that they they made at a you know their craft meetup or something like mm-hmm. that. And I think that's great. Those guys are having so much fun. Yet it's it's not it's not an achievement to like have a you know to really to watch like all of the Star Trek episodes and then hate people that haven't or haven't or, or like right. a different version. Like it doesn't take any work. It it's not an accomplishment. You watched a bunch of fucking TV and movies <laughs> and formed an opinion about it. And it's like not that you're knocking that at all. <laughs> I mean no, 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 I mean no, but it's but the, my uh, life Having, having, a, having an opinion about those things is is great. I mean, you should. I would expect that. But the fact that like people would beat up on Cradle of Filth or vampire fans would say that they hate Twilight or whatever because it's like, do you have anything important to care about, or is it just is it important to feel better? Uh, is it really important for you to feel better than a bunch of fourteen year old girls? Like, really, you need right. is, is that well, so important? A little important. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'd like to feel better than a fourteen year old. Well, and I, I should hope you do automatically already. Not, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this this kind of attitude killed the goth scene in the '90s because they were so eager to run out all the Marilyn Manson fans that when the rest, when the all the the older goths aged out, when they had kids and moved on and got different jobs, there weren't people there to to support the scene anymore. They'd run everybody out, run run everybody out of the clubs. They had told them, "You're not welcome," you know. And to me, that's I don't get off on being mean to people. I mean, occasionally I do, but. Um, but you know what I mean. I, but why? Why would you do right. that to somebody that wants to support your event and wants to give you their money and wants to and admires you and wants to come join you? I mean, are they? Is your is your thing have to be so fucking pure that you can't have somebody who likes a newer incarnation? I mean, it's just it's just so stupid, and well, I don't get it. Ev- everything's that way these days, though. I, I was I got it. I didn't get into it, but uh, like I'm a big Disney nut, and they're like. If you go to Orlando, there's apparently there's now the politicization of Disney and Universal, where the Universal fans talk smack about <laughs> Disney and Disney talk. You know, Disney I like fans. both of them. Right? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, do you people not have lives? It's it's like that for everything. Like, there's uh, like, there's two major comic shops in the New Orleans Metairie <laughs> area, and they're uh, supposedly. There's like a jet shark style rivalry between us, and it's, I'm like, stupid. I don't give a fuck. Like, right. you know, like, it's stupid. They got they got better things to do, right? Yeah, right. there's a there's there's a new goth night uh, that just started up in New Orleans by this by the run by this guy out of Houston, and it's fine. Like, it's still it's it's new, and they're definitely still getting their legs.
things, but they've definitely there there's been some tension that's erupted between that night and one of the other one of the other established nights and you know i've i've kind of tried to keep my distance from all of it because i'm i've been you know i i've been around long enough and seen all this kind of thing come and go in the new orleans scene and so i'm just trying to play you know kind of stoic elder statesman and you know now now kids everybody play nice and uh, right but, but i mean but still i mean it it's it kind of gives more of a venue to build more of a scene if you if you do mm-hmm. more than one night during the week just because it's not your night that you've had you know mm-hmm. it's still Builds your scene. That's like us with bands. It's not because I don't play a certain night doesn't mean I'm not going to go support another band. Right. It's just kind of stupid, you know. I'm like I'm not, I'm not going to be rival against this other band. I think the theory comes down to uh, if if it's if there's a small market share for for like I guess metals dwindling a little in the local scene, but. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I think I think it comes down to the people in charge just feel like there's a very small pie for us to draw right. from, and if they go to that other guy, then that means we're going to go out of business. So right, I know I've, I've seen. I've heard, I, mean, I know people have that attitude. I don't necessarily. I, I in the end, I, I've having having done this a few times. It seems to me like it doesn't affect the numbers that much. Usually, no, you're not going to like. No, people are not going to like go to one and then not go to the other. A lot of times they'll go to both or they weren't, or maybe they, they were they, the die in the wool regulars aren't going anywhere. And other people like me, if I had time, I would go, I don't go to mini goth nights anymore because I just don't have time. And I like, I need to sleep at night. Believe it. <laughs> I don't sleep during the day, contrary to rumor. Um, because it, it just, I'm old enough. It messes up my body. If I, if I stay out all late all night on a Sunday and I've got to get up on a Monday, it completely ruins my week. Even though I like, I think the Sunday guy at goth night is great. It's, just not it's just not viable for me but you know we we try to as I said we try to be very welcoming with Fantasia and we if you know we haven't taken too much flack for that thankfully but I know that there are there are different like rival vampire groups and stuff like that and to me again it all it all seems rather silly that people are dividing themselves into different kind of houses and ranks and, and all this other I'm like just put on a pair of fangs and come have fun or come buy buy a pair of fangs we have a guy there um, who, whose company is called Dark Awakenings and he will make you a set of fangs on site. I mean, it costs money. Obviously, you have to pay them, but they're great. And he made me, his name's Maven. He made me a set a while back, and they're just, they, they look like I could be, like, I've had people in the dungeon start asking me if I was a real vampire, and I said, well, of course not. That vampires aren't real. <laughs> uh, and then they cry. Uh, no, but they, they, uh, the, the one, the one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, I think she didn't believe me. Um, wow. How old? She wasn't that old. She was probably thirty. I, I, I had to venture to guess. That's, she that's, definitely that's was too old to not. That's too old not to believe you. Look, if, if you're twelve and somebody informs you that Harry Potter isn't based on a true story and you cry, I'm like, eh, okay. But when you're thirty, yeah. Like, well, <laughs> I think some people really have. I, I think this is a you know Yerky from Sixty Nine Eyes was telling me this. It said. In Finland and in the rest of for in a lot of Europe, they're just regarded as sort of like like even though they have their their vampire theme, they're sort of regarded as like Alice Cooper or Kiss or whatever, and they're huge right. in Finland. They're totally mainstream. It's just it's just a cool show for people. But in America, he says it's crazy. People think they're really vampires. People want <laughs> them to like turn them and stuff. And you know he always he he, he occasionally is just like, what is with you guys? <laughs> and um, right. I'm like, dude, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I have my theory. I'm not a. I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist. I have my theories about why people. I mean, I find. I think that vampires an incredibly powerful archetype, especially to younger people. And I, you know, I think the reason why teenagers like them so much is that. I mean, what's what's better? I mean, you're just. You're, if you're a kid, you know, you're angry, you're horny, you're just ready to explode and get out in the world. And so you have this creature that is completely independent of any authority. Um, for all intents and purposes, has a handful of weaknesses, but not as many as, as a human being does. You get to eat all of the people you don't like. You get to seduce all of the women you do like, and nobody can tell you what to do. And even if they lock you up, you know, as long as you can, you know, stay out of the light or whatever, you know, you can you can basically do what you want forever until the you know until the sun consumes the earth. And I think for people that feel powerless, which a lot of teenagers do, or at least they they should if their parents are raising them correctly. Um, that that's a very very powerful archetype, and that that compels them. It makes them interested. I think the problem is is when people 
really, really carry it too far. Like, I, I love vampires. I have a ton of vampire stuff in my house. Um, but to me, it's, it's entertainment. It's just, a, it's a cool thing to read and read about and watch and, you know, dress up as occasionally just because it's fun and, you know, people like the things. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's just all art and entertainment. I think that if more people found their, their kind of stimulation and their magic, as it were. Uh, I'm not into the occult, but I think that there is something transformative about good art. I think to read something, to watch something, you are sensing it and experiencing it in a certain way that is similar to the same way that, like, you know, you're, you know, that you see or experience real things. It's not the same thing. It's not the same kind of reality, but you're still using your sensory organs to process that your mind is experiencing. And I think that, um, that is that's a, that's important, and I don't think that that should be discounted. I mean, I, I say if you like vampires, read all the vampire books you can, watch all the movies you can, and just love love it to death. But for some people, that is just not enough. You know, that it seems like there's still something missing, and I'm I'm not really sure why that is. Not for not for people of past a certain age. It's a tendency towards obsession that we just yeah. we all have. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody has that upset that obsessive gene yeah. in them. And I think some people are just, yeah, some people just have enough self awareness to know it and know. Yeah, and say, Hold on, I'm Right. I, I have an addictive personality. I, I have a, a touch of O C D and paranoia and all those things and you know, like people always ask me, Well, why don't you why why don't you drink, you know, and all that and I'm like, Well, I, even if I really was an alcohol, I, I have an addictive personality. I, I I tend towards obsession and and mania and all these things. It's, it's you know I, I'm self aware enough to know these things. You know, that's that's why I don't like it when pe- when ordinary people ask me questions about comic books because I'm like I don't really want to have this discussion because it lasts you. three seconds before you're like oh you're a weirdo. Right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. People will be like, "Oh my God, what is this dude talking about?" Right. That's like with new music and you with that, and, mm-hmm. and then I, I, you know, I understand that completely, and I, I try to. Games. I mean, part of part of the the thing is is that um, you know we're all adults, and to me, there's just a certain standard of etiquette and behavior that is sort of more neutral that you should exercise in situations, especially with people you don't know. Like if I, I you know, people ask me, they'll you know, I'll say, but if I meet people, it's just. Hi, I'm Kurt. Here, here's who I am. Here's what I do. You know, what do you do? What do you like? And then you'll just hit on the point. And if I say I write, and they'll say, Well, what do you write? And I'll say fiction, or I'll say, What kind of fiction? And I'll say the the truth is that I write graphic novels, and I'm working on a novel that is being that I do intermittently in between that. And if they they want to know more, they can keep peeling back the layers. But to me, it's just you know part of part of what I do is just. This is just me. This is just me being polite. Like you know, we're we're meeting in a boardroom or something like that. Right. And I'm not going to tell you uh, what my favorite movie. I'm not going to tell you the movie I saw last night or whatever. I'm just going to ask how you've been, and I'll ask the most general, "How's your family? How's your job?" And if they want to talk about my preferences and interests and you know what I, whoever I think Batman could beat up Superman or something like that, then <laughs> I will. But you're right. Most of those conversations are alienating to people, so I just don't have them. You know. I mean, like I said, I've just uh, sometimes it's fun. Like it's weird because you can sort of get a vibe from a person who doesn't read comics, where you know they'll be receptive. But more often than not, you get the vibe that literally they ask you about it just to be polite. But you know, if you answer it, maybe five, ten seconds in, they'll be kind of like, oh, right? It just gets really awkward. It's like, yeah, it's like. You, you really don't want to know what I think about this. I, I understand that you're trying to establish a connection, but let's just not. Let's just not go there. Let's do something. Right. Let's ask me right. something else. Right. Just like, not. Right. Don't what do ask, I like to eat? Yeah, don't, <laughs> you know? don't ask me about the Saints or anything like that, because I don't know. But, you know. <laughs> uh, Dude, uh, how did you get involved with uh, the Cradle and Filth book, man? I'm just curious. I mean, I, I, I dig the band, and uh, I was just curious on how you got involved with them. Um, uh, I, was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps. It was... Um, 2003, I guess, I had suffered a knee injury. What happened was uh, I had been in the reserves. My reserve unit was activated. I was called up to go to Iraq, and we were doing some additional training out of Camp Pendleton. And I blew my knee out, and um, so I was laid up for a while, and so I decided to start writing a script for a comic book. And uh, I was I had been listening to a lot of Cradle of Filth, for, um, but a friend got me into him in college, and... Cradle got me reading again because I started reading about some of the literary and historical subjects I hadn't been, I had, you know, I was a big recreational reader when I was a kid and I kind of moved away with college as I discovered, you know, drinking girls and video games. And, uh, so I, 
decide I had this idea that kind of went nowhere before I left. So I actually started writing what ultimately became the first issue of Dead Souls, and it had um, the Hungarian Blood Countess Elizabeth Bathory, and then the, the historical Dracula Vlad the Impaler as principal characters set in modern New Orleans. Now the book is very raw now, looking back on it, although a lot of people still really like it. Um, but uh, I decided to see if I could get in touch with Danny Filth to do a supplementary interview, just as kind of like a to, to bolster the book, have an additional selling point. Um, and so, I mean, it really, I just contacted the record company. I asked to speak to Cradle of Filth's public pub, publicist, which was uh, Amy Chiaretto, who still uh, works at Roadrunner as a, when they were with Roadrunner, is an absolutely amazing person and an incredibly nice woman. And uh, she got me in touch. Danny and I did a phone interview. Um, I typed it up, and uh, then we, we, Danny and I just kept in touch after that kind of talked over the That's years. Cool. Um, I just would shoot him an email. He would answer me back. I would, you know, send him new, the new issues of Dead Souls, and, you know, my wife and I would write him and Tony, his wife, a Christmas card, and, you know, every year, and it was just kind of, uh, just kind of kept in touch, and then they played in, uh, I think they played in Atlanta, actually, the year, the, right before the second issue of Dead Souls came out, and we asked if we could go, you know, visit backstage, or not, but, you know, just go hang out with them, and he said it was fine, and the record company, you know, we got guested in, and we were just hanging out on the tour bus, like, actually, we were running around trying to avoid all these kids that were in the back <laughs> of the bus, like, looking for them, we are like, Dan, no, not that way, that, they'll, get, they'll take you! Um, <laughs> and, um, we have just hung out one other, uh, we, we hung out with them in Houston, um, not last year, or the year before, uh, we were, we were trying to, again, this year, but the, um, but the American tour was canceled because they had some, uh, they had some kind of paperwork holds up with immigration, I think. But, uh, yeah, Danny, Danny, uh, shot me an email and said that he'd read the 69 Eyes comic book. I think I just sent him a copy of it. He knows, he knows Yerky and those guys. He's known them forever. And, uh, so, and those were just two, like, two of my favorite bands. I mean, they still are, but, you know, obviously I have, I have many, many favorite bands. But, uh, Danny and Yerky knew each other. Yerky wanted me to do the comic with Sarah Femro, who's my current publisher out of, who were out of Connecticut because he knew Danny liked my books and he was like, well, we need a comic book. You're a comic book person. Would you do it? And I said, sure. And then, um, Danny read the 69 Eyes comic book and really liked that. And I, I wrote half of that. The other half was, uh, written by Mark Morash, who owns Sarah Femra and, so Danny and I started working on um fleshing out this this plot, which is this kind of perverse Victorian Gothic Alice in Wonderland, but not like with not with an Alice character. There's a character in there that's um he's a kind of a disgraced poet who is um uh, he's not Danny Phil, I can tell you that. He's more of a spiritual ancestor of Danny Phil. He fulfills a certain role. Um, oh, cool. but we were, we, we, yeah, we, we, we tossed around the idea. I said, well, what, I said, what do you guys want? I said, do you want to do like what we did for Cradle or we, I'm sorry, for 16 on Eyes where we did kind of a fictional biography where Yerky's a vampire and we're going to show how that the band got together in this, you know, um, I'm actually not, I'm not supposed to say that it's fictional. It's actually every, every bit of it's true. Uh, they are in fact vampires. Um, but, <laughs> the, uh, but I, you know, he, I said, do you guys want to like incorporate all the band members and do some sort of a, kind of a high Gothic fantasy? Do you want to be like, you know, warring vampire Lords? Do you want to be superheroes or something? I mean, you know, kiss for superheroes for, you know, that they have been over the years. I mean, I was sort of yeah. kidding about that part, but he said, no, you know, he wanted to do something that just <coughs> incorporated, lyrical lyrical themes and imagery from their music and so we've done that and essentially starts with um with a a, a lord but not a lord in the sense of a land or like lord of the manor not lord like a member of the house of lords he's not a parliamentarian that would have introduced a an entirely new layer of complication <laughs> I mean, well, it, because then, it, then, it, then it's a story about a, you know, a, about a political scandal, you know, as right. opposed to it, it becomes like if a, a member of the House of Lords got up to, you know, what he gets up to in the book and all that, it would be something that you couldn't, you couldn't hide in the hide in the folds of history and right. suggest that maybe just maybe it's real. It'd be something that would be on public record and it would become um, sort of a Victorian political thriller. But uh, essentially, his. Um, He's published a book of um, of very dark poetry that has been confiscated by the authorities, and he is probably going to go to prison for obscenity. And the um, at the same time, his his uh, 
his fiancée, who is, it is strongly implied as a prostitute that he was sort of taking out of, he was kind of trying to elevate her and pull her away from that life, um, but it still was just totally different class and entirely inappropriate, but uh, that she has been murdered, but not by him, of course, I mean, that would be, that would be very hard to write about, and, but he, uh, they are, he is suspected, of course, and he finds, uh, he, in asking why, uh, he finds that there was a book at the scene of the crime that has his name in the title. Uh, it's, it's, it's incidental, or, or sort of incidental, you'll see. But um, his last name, which is going to be an analog for filth in Latin, we have one word we're working, on, we're working with uh, called canosa, but I really want to get the opinion of a couple of classics professors because we really don't want to call him, accidentally call him Lord Daniel Dirt or Lord Daniel Shit or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, then again, I'm also not the person that renamed himself Filth. So, so there may be a, there, there may be a, there may be an inherent problem there in getting, getting around that. But I, w- uh, I wouldn't drop that into the negotiations. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. I mentioned that. I mentioned that. No, I know, no, I mentioned that to Danny already. I mean, I, I just said uh, we're really trying to make sure he's not called Lord Daniel Poop or something like that. So we need to. Uh, we need to. I said I, I contacted one one classics professor at Tulane, and she was very short with me, and I didn't feel like she understood what I was getting at. And so I'm going to try try another and see if somebody will be a little more. I actually know it was Loyola, my alma mater. I don't want to don't want to shift the blame where it's not not needed, but. uh Essentially, he gets a copy of the book and uh, gets drunk on ether and starts reading it, and then he is sucked into this world that um, may or may not be real, and it could all be in his mind. It could be a physical place, we find out. Uh, one of the exciting things is that one of the supporting characters is Oscar Wilde, the poet who is just, nice. in in real life, I timed this very carefully, uh, Wilde was out of prison. He, of course, went to prison for, for sodomy. Yeah, for yeah. sodomy, not for... Um, not for obscenity, but um, Canosa or Filth or whatever we're going to call him goes to see one of Wilde's plays and doesn't realize Wilde in real life was living in uh, was living in Paris at the time. But it, he shows up at the play itself because he snuck into England to see it perform because he it just wasn't he just never had a chance to because he was in prison during the time frame that it would have been, and so Oscar Wilde is a supporting character, an important awesome. part of the story. He's a he's a really good friend of of Lord Daniels, and um, it's yeah I'm, I'm I actually did an out loud read through with a good friend of mine that sort of serves as my serves as an editor to me, and it's I'm very very happy with the script, and we're gonna incorporate all of our notes and I'm going to send it back to Danny and if he has any notes or thoughts and um, I, I want to be really, really clear on people that this isn't something like I didn't just write this and then he signed off. But Danny had a had a hand every step in the way, not in the, the scripting so much, but in the plotting. Like he was very, very instrumental in the plot that we turned out. Like this is very much a product of R2 spitballing the story back and forth, and he was very, very engaged and very cool about it. And his his ideas and his notes were all really were all really good. Um, it wasn't he the guy obviously reads a lot and is very intelligent. And it was just um, it was actually a lot of fun to work with and create something with him because it wasn't like I wrote this thing and he said, "Yeah, that's fine. Just put my name on it." It wasn't that at all. Like he the, the fact the story that. It ultimately is now bears only a slight resemblance to the initial one that I came up with and sent him because he had so many really great notes and we went back and forth so many times on it. So I mean, it really is the script is as I need to be very clear. The script itself is by me, but the story is very much like by me and him. It's like half and half. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we're uh, we're in process with that. We're we're looking at artists right now, um, but. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about the book, and I said I'm so happy that you know my my friend and I did a read through last night. She said this is like the best thing you've ever written, and I, I time will tell if that's the case. But it definitely wasn't a case of like where I felt like we had to go back and make major revisions or go back to the drawing board or anything like that. I definitely have to check that out when it comes out, dude, because I you know I'm pretty excited about the whole idea already. Yeah, well, it's a dream project for me. I I love Cradle of Filth. They're one of my favorite bands. I mean, I to be able to talk to Danny and Paul as often as I as often I I I have met Martin a couple of times, but we're not really. And I have him on Facebook. We don't. I'm, I'm not speaking ill of him at all. We've just never really had a chance to meet much, other than like, hi, this is Kurt. This is Martin. Da da da. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, Paul Allender writes. Um. You know, he writes. 
uh, most of the music, and then Danny, you know, although Martin did some of the orchestration on their, or did all the orchestration on their last album, uh, Manticore and Other Horrors, I think, but, uh, and then Danny writes the lyrics, but I mean, those guys had, uh, in their own way, such a profound influence on me personally in terms of, like, got me reading again, got me writing again. I mean, the, the, the monster that, that sits before you is, uh, very much, um, <laughs> you know, is, it is one of those bands, it very much a direct result of my engagement with their work, and that's it's such a rare thing that you can say that about an artist, that they truly are like life-changing, and especially for somebody that gets such, and uh, frankly, I think, unjustified, bad, unjustifiably bad rap like Cradle does, and I, yeah. it, it drives me crazy, because I, I love black metal, I like Immortal and Dark Throne and Mayhem and all those bands, and then uh, I'll see somebody you know, in a bar wearing, wearing a shirt, and I'll say, oh, you know, do you no, you know, I actually made him play here uh, a few months ago, and I skipped it. And I really wish I had. Actually, actually, they're coming back. Oh, really? Well, yeah, they're playing at the hangar. Yeah, I'll have to go to that because I, I felt I was really unhappy that I skipped it. But uh, you know, I'll just you know I'll sit there and talk metal with them, and invariably within five seconds of talking to any black metal van, they start trashing Cradle with Filth. Well, black metal fan, they start trashing Cradle with Filth, and they say like, "Hey, those guys are you know those are friends of mine, like actual friends." You know? We send them Christmas cards and talk pretty often, and they all kind of like, well, something, something, false metal, something, something. I'm like, you cut Danny, you know, you cut Danny or Paul's grass if they asked you, you know, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, what the hell was I going to say? I lost my train of thought there for a second. What was I going to say, man? I like flutes. Flute music, that's right, yes, flute music. Um, <laughs> you you have to be a fan of uh, James Olbar, right? Yeah, I've uh, I've met James a couple of times. Um, I obviously the Crow was a huge impact uh, on me when I was a kid. I mean, it probably the Crow pretty much. I think it's single handedly. If I I don't know what whatever direction I would have ended up, but I mean, I read the Crow one time and I was wearing nothing but black pretty much. You know, right? You know, right after immediately thereafter. Um, it was a pretty pretty life changing thing, and I really wish James is would do more work and more comics over the years. I mean, I've, I've met him a couple times. He's a nice guy. Um, I, I kind of, I feel like I wish we could be better friends, but I see he really kind of seems to keep to himself. And you know, there's, you know, it's always just been kind of like there. You know, he, I meet, I meet him, I see him, I say hi, I've asked him to get a beer a couple of times, and he's sort, of, he's sort of noncommittal about it. So I was, just, I think he's just kind of a kind of a really reserved sort of guy. And I guess if you've ever seen any interviews with him, like on the Crow DVDs and stuff like that, you can kind of tell he's not quite as bombastic and, and loud and over the top like I am. And so, mm. you know, but yeah, but absolutely. I love the Crow and I'm interested, I'm interesting, interested in seeing what they do if they, uh, if they decide to make another movie out of it or maybe a, uh, another adaptation of it just because, you know, I love Brandon Lee and I love the first movie, but it is very much a, a product of its time and place. And I think you probably would have had to have been a, uh, you know, probably had to be a teenager to see it to really appreciate it. And it has a lot of those things that resonate with you when you're, you know, a young boy in black, you know, undying love and getting to shoot all of the people that you don't like, you know, that, that have wronged you and right. all, all of that. Um, well, well, they are making a reboot of the movie. Yeah, I know. I, that, that's what I was referring to, although it's yeah. been developed hell for a while. But I know all, all of the, the Crow fans are weeping and gnashing their teeth, but I'm actually really interested to see what they're going to do with it because, uh, again, it's something that, you know, is a sacrilege to a lot of people. I think the first movie is really good and everything, but it's very much a product of its time, of its place. It's kind of campy. Aspects of it haven't aged well. Um, it's, it's some aspects of it have. I mean, Brandon Lee is, is great in it, but there's just overall the script is a little is a little rough in places, and I'd like to see if somebody was able to kind of stand back and look at the comic and look about what could be improved in the movie and then take another shot at it. That said, you know, we'll always have the... I, I don't think anyone's going to be reading the comics. They, they just brought in James O'Barr. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, James O'Barr's... He's a creative consultant on it now. Yeah, well, he, he still... James still owns The Crow, technically. A lot of people forget that, but The Crow comic book property he still actually owns. Now the movie the movie rights are owned by a different company. Um but James himself actually owns the crow. Like that character and the whole idea is copyright to him. It's the, the now the movie obviously like I know that IDW for instance has been putting out new crow comics and um they've had James involved with some of them. And those are like that is licensed from the film, but they went and to their credit, they went and got in touch with James anyway because they were like, it's the crow, James has to be involved, you know? Right. So, 
yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see the movie. I still, I have every, I mean, I have just about every fucking Crow comic that's ever come out. I don't have the original, the original issues, which I, I could go get if I wanted to. I mean, they're not impossible to find or anything, but it's just, it would be just, it's like when I had a chance to buy the whole run of Watchmen like a year or so ago. This is, this is after they had gone down in price a little bit. Um, after the movie came out, it was not as good as everyone thought it was going to be. Um, but the comic, you know, the comics at one point were going for 500 bucks for the whole run or whatever. And then they went back down to a much more reasonable cost. And somebody, one of the, one of my, my friend's shop where I get my comics, uh, more fun had them. And I was going to buy them. And I said, you know, uh, I've read these, I've read Watchmen over and over and over and over again. These are, these are literally just going to go in a box somewhere so I can say that I have them and feel better in my having them. And I don't <laughs> see that as good enough reason to drop. Again, again with the obsession. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same way though because I do it with all my damn action figures and the fucking everything that I have in my house is ridiculous. I I, stand, I try to stay away from from toys and figures and stuff like that just because I know it would consume me. I mean, I you know a lot of people don't. I mean, this is sort of like fun facts. Or I'm a big GI Joe fan. I've read the whole Larry Hammer run from from Marvel, and I, I mean, I played with the toys when I was a kid, but um, I stayed away from. G.I. Joe toy collecting because I've seen the depths of obsession some people fall into yeah. um, and the prices they go for and I'm just like uh, I, you know my wife puts up with my my out of control comic book collection as it is my company accompanied that with an out of control toy collection we'd have to move into a bigger house <laughs> <laughs> well dude uh, we're gonna have to wrap this up as it's approached a little bit over an hour yeah well um, alright well that's cool I mean I uh Appreciate you guys having me. Just uh, to go over the the, the details again, uh, Fantasia is going to be on July 20th. Uh, this is our third year. It'll be with uh, Christian Death, DJ Yerky69, uh, a whole bunch of other guest DJs from the local scene. Uh, Lord Chaz is going to be our, uh, our MC. We have uh, fetish performances by Mr. Genevieve and Belly Dancing by Moon Whore. And then uh, DJs uh, Snowball, Lost Twisted Soul, and Lucifera. And then I will be there, but I'm going to be, I'm actually not performing or DJing or anything other than just kind of, I'll, I'll come out on stage and talk at some point. But uh, people can get tickets uh, at fantasiaevent.com. And, uh, you know, they can look us up on Facebook too. We're on, all, we're on Pinterest. What are, the, uh, what are the prices on those? So you just throw them out? Tickets, ticket prices uh, in advance. The regular tickets are 25 We have two VIP options. One is uh, basically the VIP package is a private meet. Well, it's not private. It's at an undisclosed location, though. Meet and greet with um, with Yerky69, myself, and Lord Chaz. And you get a bottle of wine, probably vampire wine or similarly kind of gothic-themed wine that's signed by us, like in Silver Marker or whatever. And then we go on uh, Lord Chaz's tour, and we just walk around the quarter and go on his... Yerky just walks with the tour, and we go hear all the ghost and vampire stories, and then come back, and then everybody gets ready and goes to Fantasia. So cool. That's the plan. But uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's it's it was uh, good shooting the shit with you and everything. And I hope you guys were able to make it to the show. Oh yeah, dude. Look, anytime you want to come back, man, I'd love to have you back on. That'd be really cool. Yeah, man. Anytime, just uh, just let me know. Especially if we've got a new book coming out. Actually, the uh, speaking of which, the second issue of the Sixty Nine Eyes mini graphic novel miniseries will be premiering at Fantasia. I know we had a we had we had a hold up. One of our artists had some health issues that held the the second book up for a while, and so it is finally going to be out. And uh, people have been banging down our door about it, and rightfully so. But uh, it'll be it'll be launching at Fantasia three. Isn't it? Right. Yeah, there to sign it. So that's even that's even better. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. So, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. You know, uh, call any time. But, uh, yeah, uh, I will uh, I'll be seeing all of you. So we take care. All right. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for coming on, dude. And uh, like I said, uh, anytime you want to come back on, you're more welcome. Um, I was your host, Wayne. I am your other host, Adam. And, and the rum guy is in a hospital Hopefully bed. alive. <laughs> and it just, uh, again, thanks a lot, Kurt. And remember to keep it metal! 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 Kurt Amaker, and this is the uh, comic writer of the upcoming Cradle of Filth comic book and the lead promoter on the Fantasia Vampire Ball. You've been listening to the metal hand of God. Adieu, adieu, parting with such sweet sounds. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. Get the fuck out. Okay, then. That's it. <laughs>